Good morning. I am so glad and privileged to be here this morning. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I know I have big shoes to fill, and I won't come close to filling them, but I'm going to try. Uh, uh, like I said, my uh, I am I am Mark's brother, his younger, good-looking, better favorite son, <laughs> brother. Um, and I just want to say from the get-go here, I know he's told us, I've told you guys a lot of stories about the Harris family and childhood growing up. And I just want to let you know that I am not the brother that he threw out of the house naked onto the cement stairs and all the way down the stairs and knocked over the flower. I'm not him. That's my younger brother who is the ex-Marine police officer bodybuilder that Mark's had to deal with. So, uh, he has gotten his payback, I'm sure. Many stories about my brother. Mark is, uh, he, uh, he was an ornery brother. And I learned some ornery things from him. I remember, uh, I'm, I gotta tell a few stories on him, don't I? I know he's told some stories on us. So I remember one time making a sandwich and my brother coming by, hey, can I have a bite of that? And being the kind favorite brother that I am, sure, you can have a bite of that. He managed to fit that whole sandwich in his mouth. <laughs> Another time making a sandwich, knowing that I wasn't going to fall for, can I have a bite of your sandwich? He just comes up to my sandwich and licks it, knowing that I'm not going to eat a sandwich after he licked it, so he claimed it his own sandwich. He was, he was an ordinary brother, um, and we did some things together, but you know what? He was, he was my superhero growing up. My brother uh, displayed from a very early age his calling And from Christ, uh, he would kneel down at the side of his bed and he would pray. As a kid, I remember this as far back as I remember. My brother, as a kid, would kneel down at his bed every single night and pray and pray and pray, often before I could even. But sometimes he'd fall asleep on, on, on his knees. That was an amazing example. Amazing example of somebody that was so in love with Jesus at such an early age. God had his hand on my brother Mark, calling him. You guys are privileged to have him here at this church. And I'm so thankful that you have uh, invested in his life and allowed him the sabbatical to to walk where Jesus walked and to hang out where Jesus hung out. I know when he returns refreshed, it's going to bring so much, uh, so much richness to his messages, knowing that he's walked where Jesus walked. It's just thank you so much for investing in his life. I appreciate you guys as a church. And I know he appreciates you as well. Well, this morning, I want to spend some time talking about um, four categories of a person's faith journey. And as we study through the Gospels, we can see how Jesus interacted with guys who didn't know him yet. We can see how Jesus interacted with guys that just came to know him and just began following. How Jesus invested in guys uh, and taught them how to be fishers of men. And then and at some point, three, a little over three years later, same guys, now you go and bear much fruit. So the journey is, I want you to try to identify where you are at on your faith journey and what steps you need to take in order to move over a chair and move over a chair because ultimately Jesus wants us all going out and bearing fruit. So this first chair, this first chair represents that person who doesn't know Jesus yet. Everybody in this room has been in this chair at one point or another. This chair 
has more people sitting in it than any other chair. In fact, when Jesus, Jesus looking out over the crowds of Jerusalem, no, 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 the different verse. When he's, I want you to hear this verse, Matthew 7, 13. It says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Many are those that are on it. Few. Narrows the road that leads to life, and few are those that are on it. Really, this chair should be a couch. I should have had Mike at a couch up here because this chair is the biggest. Most people in this world are on this chair headed to a crisis eternity. And we need to get that. We need to understand that. Spiritually dead, laying in a spiritual coffin, incapable of life on their own. In fact, this is some of the things that the word of God says about the person in this chair. This is in Ephesians 2. That this person, these people follow the ways of the world. Also in the same verse that they belong to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Ephesians 2, 3, by nature deserving wrath. Romans 8, 7, they're hostile to God. They don't submit to God. They're completely unable to submit to him. Luke 16, 23, Revelations 20, 15, John 3, 16, all due to the fact that when this person becomes physically dead, they are destined to eternity apart from God. When Jesus looked out over the crowds, here we go with this verse, Matthew 9, 37, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Most people in this chair aren't going to hear the gospel. They're not going to hear about a life-changing, transformational relationship they can have with their creator, God. There's a lot of people in our world, in your world, at your workplace, on your sports team, places where you hang out, that would call you friend. And they still haven't heard anything about Jesus. There's some statistics here. Uh, This is interesting. This person foremost needs somebody to invade their life, step into their life, to be their superhero, to invest in them, to enter their world. Aren't you glad that Jesus modeled this with the incarnation? He came to this world. He came into our brokenness. He came to our hurt. He came to our dysfunction. He loved us. He cared for us. He came into, he modeled that for us, you all. He modeled that. He wants us to do the same because there's so many people in this chair that need a Christ follower in their life that's going to model this. Unfortunately, the statistics and the surveys done most of the time aren't in our favor. But let me read you one that is in the book. The Unchurched Next Door, Thomas Rayner, he always writes books with statistics and surveys. I love those things. But he surveyed a bunch of non-churched as well as churched people. And in, in the non-churched he surveyed, 82% said this. Get this, this is an awesome statistic. This is going our way. Here it is. 82% of unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited by a friend. That means eight out of 10 people in your world who know you're a believer would come to church if you invited them or most likely come to church. That's awesome. That's in our favor. That makes us think, man, we need to get busy and start inviting. Unfortunately, the statistic in the same survey doesn't go our way. Did you know how many church attenders 
who were surveyed stated that they had invited a non-church friend to church that year at that survey, only 2%, only 2%. We're messing up. We've got the message of Jesus. We've got the life-changing, transformation message of Jesus, and it has impacted our life. And we have a relationship with the Almighty God. And there's so many people sitting in this chair that need that, that want that, that desire that, that, that has been created to have that. We're messing up, church people. We're messing up. We need to step up. So here's what I want you to do. All right, and, and please don't get me wrong before you start sending emails. It's not about church attendance. It's about this person having a life-changing, transformational relationship with an almighty God who loves him so that he doesn't have to be in this chair that leads to destruction. Coming to church is a good place to come because when they come to church, they can hear the gospel taught. The gospel can supplement your personal witness with them. So it's not about church. So don't get me wrong. Don't start sending emails to my brother. So here's the challenge. Well, go ahead, send them to me. Send them in. <laughs> That'd be fine. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, to get a, I want you to get a pen. Grab the back of your bulletin. Get a pen. Get a pencil. I don't see you moving. Come on, everybody. I mean, do I have to come down there? That's what my dad used to say. Come on, get a pen. Get a paper, please. If there's a young mom sitting by you, she's probably got a purse full of crayons. Whatever works. I want you to picture in your mind's eye. Come on, this is, everyone's participating in this. Picture in your mind's eye. Those people that you're going to go to work with tomorrow that call you friend that are probably sitting in this chair. Picture those people on your sport team or in your class or wherever you go. Those people that call you friend that are sitting in this chair headed to a crisis eternity. Now, what what I want you to do with those names, I want you to bring those to your small group this week. And I want you small group leaders, come on, help me out with this. Give me five minutes of your small group this week. I want you to ask everybody in your small group, so what are the names you're bringing tonight? What are the names? Tell me about each one of these names. And I want you to give just a brief description. Well, John, he's the guy that sits in the cubicle next to me. He's a devout atheist. And Just ask for prayer from your group, from your small group, people who know you and love you. Please pray for John. Pray for me to have an opportunity to, to just invest in him, to share Christ with him. It's easy. Maybe he's trying to stop smoking. For me to be able to say, I'll pray for you to help you stop smoking. Just anything to inject Christ into the conversation. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be more mindful. You're going to be more intentional. If you're held accountable to your small group, the following week and your small group says, hey, how did it go with John? You're going to be looking for opportunities with John and you're going to have some opportunities. And I guess what, this is what's going to happen. I know this will happen. Somebody's going to come to your small group and say, my friend's coming. My friend's coming. He's coming to church this week. She's coming. I've invited them and they're coming this week. And know what you can do? You can enlist your small group to help you make sure that your non-church friend sitting in this chair has a great experience at church. My friend Josh, non-Christian friend of mine, I love the guy. He is, I've invested in his life. He knows I'm a believer. He knows that I go to church. He knows I'm a pastor. I invited him. Finally, come on, Josh, you're going to come to church with me. He said, yes. And man, was I leaping for joy. I got on the phone. I started texting my small group. And when jo- before Josh got in the building, people were welcoming Josh to church. Josh, Josh, awesome. I've, Matt told me that you were coming. You know what he said the next day to me when we were at work? Man, that church is so welcoming. (laughs) 
Yeah, because, you know, we're after you, Josh. We want you to know Jesus. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So if you're not in a small group, join a small group. Then you need to be part of a small group. So John 1.46, Jesus says, he's just on the scene. And he says, people are asking, where are you going, Jesus? What are you doing? Where do you live? Come and see. Come and see the invitation to come and see. This people in this chair need an invitation. Come and see. See what's going on in, in, at, at our church. Come and see what Jesus is doing. Come and see what, why it's so exciting to be part of this body. Come and see. Eight out of ten of them will come if you invite them. Come and see. So what do these, what do these people need? They need, first and foremost, they need someone in their life, that Christ follower. They need, they need people in their life who are prepared. First Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Are you prepared? That person on your most wanted list that you bring to your, to your small group, when they finally ask you, why do you go to church? What difference does it make in your life? Are you going to be able to articulate clearly why you go to church? Your story? Here's another challenge. Tomorrow, some of you have a commute to work and you're in the car for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Turn off the stinking radio. Let's use this time. God, I'm, I'm going in the workplace. There's people at this workplace that don't know you. You've placed them in, the, in my world on purpose. And I want to pray for them now. And I want to just kind of rehearse my story. So if John asks me my story, here's how I would share my story to John. And just rehearse in your mind. Aren't you glad when you get on an airplane, it's not the first time the pilot is behind the wheel of that plane? He's practiced. Your non-Christian friends need you to practice. They need you to think through. They need you to pray through. They need you to be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. They also need people who will invest in them. Sometimes this takes years of investing, hanging out with. They need you to hang out with them. They need you to go go to their homes, for them to come to your homes, you to go to their sporting events. They need you to be part of their life, to rub off on them. John 3.22, Jesus was constantly taking his disciples off to places to spend time with. To spend time with. Now, I'm not some big Greek scholar, but I know my brother is, and he can probably grab a, a Greek New Testament and just have his quiet time out of it. I know how to read some resources with Greek words, and this is a really cool Greek word in this passage. It's called diatribo. Dia mean against, tribo to mean to rub on. So literally, Jesus brought these guys into the wilderness to spend time rubbing off on. Rubbing off on. Your non-Christian friends need you to invest time in them. Diotribo. They need someone that's going to present the gospel. Now, I know in a church this large, there's probably people in this room that are sitting in this chair. And I want you to know right now that you are being pursued by a holy God who loves you, who cares about you, who's desiring to have a relationship with you. He's desiring to, to jump into your life and just transform you and give you a life transformational relationship with him. And this morning, I just encourage you, please, please submit to a holy God who loves you. 
Admit that you need him. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that your sin has separated you from him. Admit that and surrender your life the best you know. how. Right where you're sitting, just pray it right in your own mind. Jesus, here I am. You've been pursuing me. Somebody's been praying for me. Somebody invited me. And I just surrender my life right now. If you've prayed that, that's awesome. Tell somebody before you leave, please. So if you prayed that, you have just jumped from darkness to light. You have just made the biggest, most awesome decision you will ever make. You are now a follower of Jesus. You now have lived, or you're going to be living the transformed life, and it's going to be so awesome. Let me tell you about a couple. Well, first of all, let me read this passage in Ephesians chapter two. This is one of my favorite passages in all Scripture because it shows this this jump really, really well. Here's how it reads talking about the person that used to be in this seat. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, obviously talking about Satan. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Doesn't paint a good picture of this chair, but is the next word, but God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, that anyone can boast. If you've just made that jump, I am so, there's a party going on in heaven right now, and there's a banner with your name on the table, and it is, all the angels are swinging from the chandeliers having a party because you have made that decision to follow Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Let me tell you about a story. Story about a friend of mine, his name's Kevin. He owns a plumbing business. Kevin, nothing, nothing super special about Kevin. He's not some eloquent guy or some very charismatic guy. He's just a guy who loves Jesus. And wants people to know Jesus. So Kevin doesn't necessarily look for Christians to come work in his plumbing business. He works, he looks for people who need a second chance, looks for non-believers. Kevin hired a guy by the name of Eric, very non-churched guy, a guy that had gone down several different roads looking to find satisfaction and never find, even spending some time in jail. Finally, Eric said, yeah, I'll go to church with you, Kevin. Watching Kevin live, Kevin watching the integrity of this guy lead his business, watching how this guy talked about his wife, watching. He knew something was going on with Kevin. He wanted to say, okay, I'll come and see. I'll come and see. So he comes to church, absolutely loves it. The spirit of God pursuing this guy, and he knows that he feels something different. There's something going on here. He comes the next week. He comes the next week. He brings his daughter. He brings his girlfriend. He's got a great friend. His name is Matt. He brings, well, he talks to Matt and to come in the church. Matt's like, I don't know if I want to go to church. I've never been to church. Matt is a cage fighter, a champion cage fighter covered with tattoos. He's a rough looking guy. Spends some, not a guy that you would normally think would be in church. 
So Matt even says this about coming to church. I might have to drink a couple beers before I go because I'm not quite sure what to expect. So I don't know if he drank beers or not, but praise the Lord for beers if he did, all right? (laughs) He came to church. Matt also felt pursued by God who loves him and cares for him. Matt also brought his wife or his girlfriend and his daughter to church. The pastor starts talking about, hey, baptism, taking your next step. Maybe you ought to think about taking your next step. Both Matt and Derek, not believers yet, I want to take that next step. I want to be baptized because something's going on here. God's doing something here. I feel pursued by a God who loves me. And all these people, I'm feeling pursued by them because they know me too. And it's, this is an amazing thing. I don't know what's going on, but I want whatever's going on. So Kevin meets with Eric in the plumbing truck, pulls out the Bible, shares the gospel presentation. Eric responds, prays and receives Christ into his life, jumps from this chair to this chair. Totally awesome. I get to, I get to hang out with Matt. Matt wants to be baptized. So, you know, Pastor Matt's got to meet with, see, make sure he's, you know, make sure he knows the gospel. I know he didn't. And I was just loving the opportunity to come and share with this guy because I knew he was ready. So we have a bunch of Applebee's and I get out a napkin. I draw out the bridge illustration, you know, and God on one side and man on the other side and the great chasm in between and the chasm caused by our sin. And the wages of our sin is death, spiritual death. Everything we do falls short of the glory of God. Eric or Matt is like, I don't know, this, this is not what I expect you to say. This, I, I, I don't like this story. Well, Matt, you have to understand the bad news before you can really truly get to understand how awesome the good news is. So I shared with him, but God demonstrated his love to you, Matt. And this, why you are still sitting in this chair. Christ died for you. He paid your penalty. So I asked Matt, where are you at on this? You know, just more, where are you at on this diagram? I'm right here on the edge. I want to cross. I want a, I, I want a relationship with God. Is there anything keeping you from doing that right now? I don't, what, right here at Apple? How do I do that? Well, you just, you just tell God. Before I can finish my sentence, he had his hands folded, and he's praying, surrendering his life to Jesus right in the middle of Applebee's. Oh, it was an awesome, it was an awesome experience. Then I started telling him, Matt, something cool just happened. The Spirit, Holy Spirit of God just invaded your life. You're going to have this new power, this new strength to do things that you never thought you could do when you yield to the Holy Spirit. I started talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Right from the get-go, God wanted him to know. And he said, you got that right, Pastor Matt. I just prayed in the middle of Applebee's and I've never prayed before. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, it's totally awesome. Today, this morning, both Matt and Eric are getting baptized in front of my church. It's amazing. You have non-Christian friends in your world in this chair, and they need you to invest in their lives. They need you to share Christ with them. They need you to invite, come and see, come and see. So let's talk about chair number two. Chair number two, what did Jesus do to guys at chair number two when he started investing in their life? He modeled for them a lot of things. First thing he modeled for them was complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. He listened. Uh, listen to some of these things that, that, that we find in the gospel with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, how we can see that he was depending on the Holy Spirit. First of all, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was sealed with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He rejoiced in the Spirit. He gave commands by the Spirit. He performed miracles by the Spirit. He was resurrected by the Spirit. Jesus modeled complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. If Jesus modeled that, what do you think we need to do with our new believing friends? They need to see that our strength doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives. He modeled obedience to God the Father. He says this, I, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me, John 5.30. He modeled the importance of God's word being central in his life and ministry. Over 80 times, Jesus makes references to Old Testament scriptures. Our new believing friends need to see that the Bible is central for our decision making. It is the strength that we have. It's what we pour in. It's, how, it's, it's why we treat our wives this way or our spouse this way or why we have integrity because it's based on God's word and they need to see that and they need to understand that and we need to share that with them Jesus modeled uh, giving God the glory John 17 7 now they know that everything to me is from you John 17 7 modeled prayer every before every major decision Jesus made he was coming out of a time of prayer Luke six twelve even says one of the days Jesus went to the mountainside to pray and he spent the entire night Praying to God over 45 times we see in the gospel, Jesus slipping away to pray. He modeled for his new believing disciples, new following disciples, the importance of of communion with his savior, with God. Intentional relationships. Another thing he modeled, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some of the needs that this person has. Some of the needs is they're, they need to know their identity in Christ. They need to be reminded of that. They need to be taught that. They need to be instilled in that. They need to know that they have been chosen by God. Of all the people, God chose you. He adopted you. He forgave you. He redeemed you. He included you in Christ. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He made you alive. He seated you in the heavenly realms in Christ. We see it as a study, uh, the harmony of Gospels is an awesome resource. It kind of puts the Gospels in chronological order. So when Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him. And then the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what God said to the son. Voice from heaven, booming voice from heaven. Jesus' identity was pretty established. The very next scene, the very next scene, Jesus finds himself in the desert being tempted by Satan, tempted to, to question his identity. Your non-believing friends will struggle with this when they fall and they will. Because they're new believers, like, like our, our children, when they're new and they're just starting to walk, they fall a lot. And when they fall, Satan's going to be working overtime on him. He's going to be saying, you're not a believer. Look at you. You just fell. Christians don't do that. Just give up. You can't do this. And we need to come alongside them just like we did when our kids were little and help them up. They need to be reminded, you know, I used to fall a lot too. In fact, I still fall. What happens oftentimes is when, when, they, when they fall as Christians, like to beat them up. We need to help them up and come alongside them 
and teach them what it means to confess our sins, to claim God's forgiveness, to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit again. Need to help them also walk on their own. Help them up. Don't beat them up. We need to help them talk. When their lives start to change, their friends begin to ask questions. Matt, when he was sitting at Apple's East with me just last week, he said, hey, my friends, my friends asked me to go out and go out drinking with them this Friday night. I said, I'm not going. And they kept questioning me. Why aren't you going? What are you doing, Matt? What do you got going on Friday night? I don't have anything on Friday night, but I'm going to church on Sunday. That's what he told his non-Christian friends. That's, that's amazing stuff. But we need to come alongside them and we need to help them understand and help them share their story. We need to help them understand what the message is so they can share the gospel with their friends. We need to under, help them understand those things. They're going to have opportunities that we will never have because they're still right in the middle of it. Another thing that we need to do is we need to help them grow in their ability to feed themselves. We have to teach them how to have a quiet time. We have to teach them how to feed themselves. Boy, when I think of my grandchildren, when they come over to the home, I have twins that are six years old and their sister, their sister is four. And when they sit at my table to eat, it is a mess. I'm telling you what, after they're done eating, there's stuff everywhere. We have to get out the vacuum cleaner, the, the, the broom, and all kinds of cleaners. There's sticky, gooey stuff everywhere. It's like, how did they get food here? Kind of stuff. It's just a mess. Our new believing friends need to be taught how to eat, what to eat. I mean, picture this scene. Oh, Pastor Matt, you'll never believe it. These two guys came to my door. Really nice guys. They had ties on, backpacks, mountain bikes. I never knew that there was another testament of Jesus Christ. Obviously referring to Mormons. Well, these two ladies showed up to my, at my door and they were really sweet ladies and they were talking about the Jehovah and they gave me a, this magazine called the Watchtower and it's really good and pretty good. Or I was watching Oprah yesterday and the book club of the month and it's on spirituality and I ordered it and I just can't wait to read it. They need to understand how to feed themselves, what to feed themselves. Potty trained. Oh, I remember those days, parents. When our new believing friends mess up, they need to learn how to deal with the sin in their life. They need to get back into the power of the Holy Spirit, confess, claim forgiveness, walk spirit-filled. That at some point, Jesus, as he continued to invest in their lives, invest in their lives, invest in their lives, take them through experiences, at some point, they kind of slide into this chair where Jesus starts talking about Not just come and see, not just come and follow, but now it's come and I will make you fishers of men. If we're kind of looking at this as a spiritual family growing up, the unborn, the baby infant child, the young adult. I worked with young adults for many, many years as a youth pastor, and they can say some pretty insightful stinking insightful things about God's word. And they came up with some pretty, and I would think sometimes I think, man, that is so mature. You're so right on. You're really growing in your faith. And then 10 minutes later, the same kid would just fart and clear this youth room and it'd be just a big old fiasco and forget getting anything else across. 
True story, we had an outreach event, and it was a Halloween thing, and it was going to be totally awesome. Uh, most of my leadership kids had, had their most wanted lists created, and many of them had the same kids on their most wanted list, so they were all praying for each other and praying for their most wanted to come to this event where they're going to do some spooky thing in the woods and uh, some game, and then we're going to present the gospel. Landon comes to me on the night of the event. Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt, so awesome. I've got all four of my most wanted friends to come tonight. They're all here. I can't wait for them to hear the gospel. You better be on tonight, Pastor Matt. (laughs) 20 minutes later, during the big outreach game, Landon leads the way with his most wanted friends, his non-Christian friends, cheating the entire time. Spoiled the game for everybody that was in attendance. It's like, man, Landon. These people get it. They're growing. And then they stop, and then they grow, and then they stop, but they're getting it. And Jesus is getting these guys, they're preparing these guys for the step where they take, where Jesus will finally say, now that you've got it, now that you're getting it, you go and make disciples, go out there and bear much fruit. But he's working on them. He's helping them grow. Three people are are beginning to transition from this me-focused stuff to other people-focused. They're beginning to experience the joys of serving others, and becoming more and more aware of the needs of others. Chair three people seem to be uh, um, Jesus prepping them to, to go to chair number four. Obviously, Jesus knows the ups and downs of chair number three, because if we find this in the Gospels, we see that Jesus only 17 times is in front of the masses, in front of the crowds, but he's 46 times hanging out with his disciples, investing, investing, rubbing off on, hanging out with. But Jesus begins to transition these guys. They're calling. He ups the challenge. Gone are the days of coming and seeing. Gone are the days of coming and just following. Now he's saying, I'm going to make you guys fishers of men. See, Jesus knows that in addition to addition, he begins training these guys to multiply themselves. Chair people Three people learn that through the joys and circumstances, the pain and hurt and the brokenness and all the joys, that it's not about them. It's not about them. Three people can care less about the color of the carpet and the worship center as long as the message is clear and they can bring their chair one friend and, and that message can supplement their personal witness. That's what they care about. Chair three people understand the vital importance of multiplying their small groups so that more people can become disciples of Christ and be discipled in a small group. Chair people understand that so that principle. What is the so that principle? In Genesis, Jesus, uh, God talks to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. Chair three people are getting that. They're starting to get that. They're starting to understand Philippians chapter two, where it talks about consider other people's interests as more important than your own. Or, or they start living out the, the Galatians 2.20, where it talks about where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It, no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. It's not about me anymore. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and delivered himself up for me. Tier three people are growing in an understanding of that crucified life, of being spirit-filled, that it's not about them anymore. And they can push through just about anything because they know what is beyond the finish line. Because Jesus modeled that too. Hebrews 12, 2. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. 
They can get through just about anything because they know what the end game is. I'm going to work through this. And they know how important it is to hang out with him in a quiet time. They know how important it is to spend time with Jesus. The more I love Jesus, the more I get to know him, the more his, his, his kindness becomes my kindness. The more I get to know him, his compassion becomes my compassion. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I spend time with him, the more his purpose becomes my purpose. His mission becomes my mission. So there are three people are just in tune with this and they're growing in this. And Jesus is teaching them how to multiply themselves into other people. Which leads us to chair four. This is the chair that Jesus wants us all in. Something amazing happens in the relationship Jesus has with his disciples. When they've reached chair number four, it is an amazing, amazing thing. He says in John 15, five, Oh, to hear Jesus say this. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear Jesus, deity Jesus, to look you in the face? Say, I call you friend. Because you know your master's business. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Friendship goes beyond servanthood. We, we long, we long to be with our friends. We'll do anything for our friends. Nothing pleases and brings more joy to people in chair number four than pleasing Jesus. Nothing brings more joy to chair number four than being part of helping chair number one move to chair number two, chair number two move the tree. Nothing brings more joy. Nothing brings more happiness. Nothing brings more satisfaction. Chair number four, people live for this. This is what they pray about. This is what they dream about. This is what they strategize about. This is their life. They see their work as mission field. They see their work as an opportunity to bring people from chair number one all the way through the process. They see it as that. That is what chair number four do all the time. They're part. That's it. That's their life. They understand it. It's interesting. Only one time in scriptures does it say this. One time does it say that Jesus was full of joy. This is interesting. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 chapter 21 or or chapter 10 verse 21 says at this time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, and then he went on to praise his father. Why is Jesus so full of joy? Why is Jesus so full of joy? Why is, it, why is that the only time in scripture does it say Jesus was full of joy? Here's what happens. Just earlier, Jesus had sent out 72 disciples, probably all led by the early disciples, on a mission trip, two by two. He sent them out into the communities around. And these guys would spend time with people. They would cast out demons. They would perform miracles. They would invest in people's lives. They introduced people to Jesus's. And they had an amazing experience. And when they came back from that mission trip, and verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy, claiming even the demons submitted in, to us in your name, Jesus. In other words, oh, Jesus, it was amazing. It was so cool how God, how you used us. 
to make a transformational difference in people's lives. It was so awesome, Jesus. And Jesus finally sees it's happening. It's happened. I've spent three and a half years with these guys investing and he knows that they have reached the ability and the passion to invest in other people. His efforts of building a disciple-making movement, a hero-making movement, are now bearing fruit. And this brought him joy. Let me ask this question. Are you bringing joy to Jesus? The way you live your life, is it bringing joy? I asked you at the beginning, to identify which chair you're in. What chair are you in today? Where are you sitting? I know which chair God wants you to be sitting in. And I think you do too. One more story about my brother. My brother is an amazing, amazing guy. Uh, and God has worked through him in many, many ways. One of the things that he did uh, in our youth group growing up, we went to a small church. We didn't have a youth pastor um, Mark, um, was constantly planning events. And one of the things that he did every year was a canoe trip. My eighth grade year, finally, I get to go on the canoe trip with the big kids. Amazing experience. In fact, as a youth pastor for many years, I have brought youth groups after youth groups on canoe trips. Canoe trips are awesome because I see this journey symbolically in a canoe trip. Sometimes you're floating down the river, it's peaceful, and you're just enjoying it. Sometimes it gets pretty rocky, you have to pick up your canoe and carry it through. Sometimes the rapids are crazy, and you kind of just pray to make it through the rapids without crashing. And sometimes you crash, and your canoe tips over, and the rapids carry you down, and you're trying to grab anything that you can get a hold of. And finally, you end up floating down the river to where the river wide opens, and it's a little wider, and you finally can stand in this water that's still and kind of stagnant. And you're standing there and you can watch your friends still floating down the river, maybe shooting the rabbits, and you can cheer them on. I think sometimes our lives are kind of like that canoe trip. Something happens, your canoe tips over, marital issue, job loss. Something happens in your faith journey that causes you to end up in the stagnant water. And maybe you go to a small group and you hear how God is working in other people's lives. And you see how God is allowing them to share Christ with their spiritually lost friends. But if the truth were known, you haven't done that in a long time. You haven't done it in a long time. And you're, an honest look would say, I'm in a stagnant water. I haven't experienced God working in my life in a long time. I know this morning he doesn't want you in a stagnant water anymore. And I think this morning's the time where you get to swim back out to those rapids, get back in the faith journey, and keep progressing in your faith. There's too many people in this chair for any of us to stand in the stagnant water. Jesus wants to bring healing to whatever healing needs in your life, and he wants you to get back in the journey, back in the game. Where are you at this morning? Will you take this to your small group as well? And confess, hey, man, I find myself in this chair and I want to be in this one. Will you confess that to them and allow a group, a family, a group of believers to come alongside you and help you take that next step, whatever it is. Let me pray.
Father, thank you so much for working in our lives. We are so grateful for those times when we see people step out of this first chair and into a relationship with you. And we're so grateful for allowing us to be part of that process, whatever, whatever role we played. Thank you, Father. I do pray for those that, are, that have found themselves in the stagnant water this morning and kind of missing out on the faith journey that they were created to. And I pray, Father, that they would confess whatever it is that they would step back in the journey and begin experiencing you work in their lives, even through that pain and that hurt. We love you so much, God. Thank you so much for calling us deeper and deeper into a relationship with you. Remind us now as we sing this song, call us, call us deeper into a relationship with you this morning. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.